So, you see, we're talking about how God saves Israel. And you may say to me, well, that's not all that relevant to me because Israel's way over there and I'm over here. What does that have to do with me? But remember what I said a day or two ago. Israel is a type of the world. That is what God, how God works with Israel is how he works for the world. You say, well, I don't believe that. Yes, you do. Because you read the Bible as if it were a message to you. But in fact, the Bible is a message to Israel. (laughs) Do you not see that? So that what you are believing in Scripture is what God gave to Israel. And therefore, you do believe that how God works with Israel is how God works with the world. Now, again, remember what we're talking about here in chapter 9 of Romans. Paul is concerned about Israel if he says... I mean, he implies that if there is nothing between us and God anymore, God has removed all the barriers through his son, Jesus Christ, that there is that neither height nor depth nor things present nor things to come nor famine nor nakedness nor the sword can separate us from the love of God, then how is it that that, uh, God has not yet saved Israel? Well, Paul then explains, well, God goes about it not by saving simply the literal line of Israel. Yes, he's speaking about the literal line of Israel, literal Israelites by descendants, but he saves them by faith. Now, let me remind you that faith is the most difficult thing for a human being to have. Why is that? Because we have all fallen. We have all sinned. We fell uh, under Adam's curse and under sin and death. And the first thing to go, as I have said before to you, is faith. Faith is trust. Trust in the goodness and the heart and the generosity and the grace of God. Yet we don't see God coming through exactly when we want him to come through. We don't see him solving the wars and so forth in the world right now. We don't see him ending the famines. We don't see him taking care of the 10 million children uh, that that, uh, sleep under the the, uh, bridges and in the railway stations in India. 10 million children. So, God, where are you, please? And yet, and so, faith, trusting in God, is a gift. It is a miracle of God. All right, I've said that as background, but now let me say this to you. Look what Paul says. But it is not as though the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Now, as I say, this is often misunderstood as if it's just talking about spiritual Israel. Well, it's not, and I will show you that as uh, the uh, we go on with this study, because uh, Paul is going to conclude in chapter 11 that God is saving all Israel because they are elected. We'll get to that. Don't worry about it right now. But right now, ask yourself this question. Why is it that Paul says, in Isaac your seed shall be called? Well, look, you remember that Isaac was the son of Abraham, right? Now, I don't want to go into Abraham's life too much right now, but just to do a little bit of a summary. 
Abraham was the Bill Gates of the ancient East. He was the wealthiest man around and possibly the wealthiest man in the world. He had a household of probably 500. I know I suggest that because when he went to rescue his uh his nephew, Lot, he took 319 of his household with him. Well, if he had 319 men to take with him to uh, uh, to protect and uh, to rescue Lot, then most likely he had another 200 or so in that household left to take care of the house. He was a brilliant strategist. He routed them in battle, those 12 kings, wasn't it? Um, he also was a brilliant... Um, uh, he took care of money. He took care of his money. He, he was a brilliant financier. And he was a man of compassion. He knew how to govern his household, and he knew how to be fair and just and honest. So he had everything he needed... No, not quite. The one thing Abraham lacked was the one thing he could not produce. And you know what it was? An heir, a child, a male heir. And so, you see, God comes to us in the things we lack. He doesn't simply come to us in our generous and uh, uh, prosperous state. People may tend to think that they, it's easy to believe when they're prosperous, when everything's going well, they have a lot of money. But the fact is, God comes to us in our states of need, our poverty, our difficulties. That's where you can expect him to turn up. And God turned up in a surprising way. I won't go into the story. You'll have to look for it yourself in the book of Genesis. But he turned up and told Abraham when he was 75 years old that he would have a child. And he, uh, over several other visions, it was made clear to Abraham that that child will be born to his wife, Sarai. Now, Sarai was 65 years old. She was 10 years younger than Abraham. And she had never been able to bear a child in her life. She was barren. So Abraham starts believing, and you've heard me tell this story, so I can't go into it right now. But Abraham goes into, now listen to this, 24 years of believing. Oh boy, does he go up and down in his faith. Does he start doubting? He's, he struggles, he pleads with God, he wrestles with him. He says, how will I know you're going to do this? He tries to force the promise by producing a child through his handmaid, Sarah. Uh, uh, oh, I've forgotten her name for a minute. And uh, on it goes. And the fulfillment of the promise comes when Abraham is a hundred years old. At 99, God says to him, okay, this time next year you're going to have a kid. And he tells him to circumcise himself, which was, in my opinion, a symbol, the cutting off of the foreskin of the, a symbol only, don't go and do it for goodness sake, uh, a, a symbol of removing the genitalia or removing the penis as a form of producing that child, because that child was to be a miracle child. So... Abraham and Sarah make love yet again. 
And this time, they relax, presumably. They're trusting in God's power rather than the potency of Abraham and the, and the fertility of Sarai. And the following year, they have a child. The whole village is so amused by this. Abraham himself has a bit of a laugh. And Sarah does too, though Sarah's laugh, according, uh, presumably, was a little bit of ridicule. She couldn't really believe that God would pull this off. But Abraham believed because he was thinking, presumably, God's going to get a marvelous rise out of humanity when this happens. And sure enough, the child was born. Now listen, what did they call him? They called him Isaac. In Isaac shall your seed be called. But what is the meaning of the name Isaac? <laughs> well, it means laughter. Laughter. When God fulfills a promise, it makes you laugh. When God fulfills a promise, it gives you joy in your heart. When God fulfills a promise, it makes you realize this came from him, not from you. But the pain of it all is that it comes when you're in the worst possible situation of your life. And so faith is wonderful and it's joyful and it's good and it's light and it's so pleasant. And yet, faith is known only when everything is black and dark. And so you lift your heart up and you say, God, I believe you will supply my needs. I believe you are my father. I believe you have promised to rescue me, and I believe you will, and I thank you for doing it even when I don't see it yet. That's how we go forward in faith. Christians are not these super-righteous, moralistic people. Hopefully they have a more righteous life than the people in the world, but that's not what makes them Christians. A person who is a Christian is not a person who believes in a certain church or denomination or whatever it is. A person who is a Christian is somebody who is desperate and who hangs on to God nevertheless, believing that God is his good Father, the creator and redeemer of the human race, that he will see us through even when the chips are down. And let me tell you, there is no man worth his salt who does not know what it's like when the chips are down. And that's true of any woman as well. So, this is what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, look, God is going to save Israel, but he's going to do it by producing faith in every one of them. And those that experience will take many, many decades of life for some people. For some other people, it will come instantly in childhood because, well, we can't explain why, but some people receive faith early in their lives and others receive it later. God has to make each person open to faith. And sometimes, and I would imagine most times actually, it comes when judgments come upon us, when trials and tribulations and difficulties come upon us. We don't like those difficulties. Christians have this false idea that if they are Christian, things are going to get better and improve and everything's going to be smoother. Not necessarily. 
Yes, you may not have the trials that the world has. You may find yourself freed from drugs and alcohol and food issues and sex issues, problems, but you will find a whole other set of problems that are surrounding the issue of trust. And that is what God is training in his people. And so the, ne the next part of these verses, which we will explore, will show how God generates faith in individuals. All you need to know right now is that you are a child of Isaac because you are a miracle child, because your life, you must accept, is a miracle of grace. Even though you may not see it all around you, even though there's a mess and a turmoil and a chaos, you are a child of faith by a gift from God, and therefore your name is Isaac, which means laughter. Thanks for listening today. This is Colin Cook, and that's whom you've been listening to. And you've been listening to the program called How It Happens, a broadcast on how God's grace happens in our life and how we learn to believe. The book of Romans, I go through this book every year and a half, trains us on how to trust in God. And I need your help to keep going, if you don't mind, because, you see, this program is listener-supported radio. Uh, it's now in its 25th year, and each program costs $39 per 15 minutes. That's about $200 per week. That's about $850 to $900 per month. If you would like to become a regular donor, it would be so much appreciated. But if you can only manage to become an occasional donor or, or a one-time donor, that that's Wonderful, and I appreciate it. Send your donations then, would you please, to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. That's FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. Or make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. That's faithquestradio.com. I do appreciate all your help over the years and over the months and recently and your little notes as well. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. Cheerio and God bless. <laughs>